0: are much delayed but I apologize for that. We had some unstable uh, internet connectivity here. So I am coming to you live from the uh, coast of Texas here in Corpus Christi. So maybe there are some Lapidniks who watch us from the uh, Corpus Christi area down around here in southern Texas along the uh, coast of the Gulf of Mexico. And if you are here then uh, we welcome you. We're glad that you're with us this morning and we are thankful. Uh, to be connected. It's been a little bit of a a, a challenge, but we are here, and so Bezrat Hashem will stay here. All right, so let's jump right into our Aliyah since we're um, running behind, and I apologize to all of you. Many of you have this time scheduled and so on, and so I apologize for uh, the inconvenience, but uh, we're here now. So we are in the second Aliyah, Parashah Ki Tavo from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 26. Uh, I would give you a page number, but I'm using a miniature version of the Chumash, uh, my traveling Chumash, and so it's the, the, the page number is not going to correspond to the regular sized Chumash. Isn't this neat? You can get a little pocket size. This is actually the Chumash Devarim, little pocket size, so you can get that from Art Scroll to add to your collection uh, one of these days. So we are in the, the book of Devarim, as I said, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 26. The second reading begins in verse 11. It's kind of short, so let's read and we'll get right to our uh, discussion today. So it says in chapter 26 of verse 11, You shall be glad with all the goodness that Adonai your God has given you and your household, you and the Levites and the proselytes who is in your midst. When you have finished tithing every tithe of your produce in the third year, the year of the tithe, you shall give to the Levites, to the proselytes, to the orphan, to the widow, and they shall eat in your cities and be satisfied. Then you shall say before Adonai your God, I have removed the holy things from the house and I've also given it to the Levites, to the proselytes, to the orphan, to the widow, according to whatever commandments you commanded me, I have not transgressed any of your commandments, and I have not forgotten. That's important, not to forget uh, the tithe of Hashem and what Hashem has done for us. So in verse 14, I have not eaten any of it in my intense mourning. I did not consume it in a state of contamination, and I did not give it for the needs of the dead. I have hearkened to the voice of Adonai, my God. I have acted according to everything you commanded me. Gaze down from your holy abode, from the heavens and bless your people Israel and the ground that you gave us as you swore to our forefathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. So the second aliyah is a continuation of the discussion, the discussion of bringing the first fruits to Hashem. And so with that, I want to turn to the Gutnikumash and read a, their introduction to this parashah because it has a very uh, fascinating insight, I think, for us speaking about entering the mitzvot. I like to point out that Yeshua said, um, when you abide in me, I will abide in you. I, I've, I've mentioned that particular saying many, many times, probably because for me, as uh, and maybe as a man, a lot of ladies are far more spiritual than men are just by the very nature of who they are as God uh, made woman. But as a man, we need some more. We need we need more input. What was that movie? Um, number five. Need more input. I forgot. Uh, Short circuit. That was the name of the movie. Uh, need more input. So the, for me, I was like, oh, that sounds really sweet. Abide in me, and I'll abide in you. But my question was always, how do I abide in you? How exactly do I abide in the Mashiach? Well, as time went on, and and uh, illumination happened, you realize that the Mashiach is the Torah. And so the way in which we abide in the Messiah is to abide in the Torah because he is the Torah. So that's how we, well, that's how we can uh, literally abide in him is to study Torah, to live Torah, to, you know, uh, learn from it and so on. Well, this insight to the Kumash uh, in my opinion, kind of follows along those lines. So here's what they say. Kitavu means when you enter. This is the name, this is the name of our parasha, when you enter. As the verse, when you enter the land which God is giving you, at which point, according to the Torah, does entering occur? So, at what point, this is what the sages had to ask themselves, at what point does entering in actually happen? It says, do we say that a person, uh, do we say that as soon as a person puts his hand in a room, has he entered it? Or does he have to put most of his body inside? Or can the or can he only be said to have entered when his whole body is in the room? <clears throat> Similarly, at which point has a nation considered to have entered a land when the first few people arrived, or do they have, have to arrive and settle before we can uh, we can say that they have fully entered? So the top of answers, partial entry is not considered entry in Hulim 33b. Likewise, Rachi explains at the beginning of our parsha that when you enter the land refers to the time when they conquered the land and divided it. So it says, this teaches us a powerful lesson in daily life that we should enter ourselves totally and wholeheartedly into everything that we do for God. So it says, when a person becomes fully immersed in what he is doing, there's not merely a quantitative improvement in his actions in terms of, of how much he's involved, but a qualitative change which radically affects the manner in which he is involved. So it says here, in order to reach a state of total immersion that is entering into, a person must temporar, temporarily, temporarily Sleka, relinquish any other cares or concerns and dedicate himself understand to the the matter at hand, and with utter devotion and concentration, he must surrender himself and not allow any personal bias to interfere with the purity of his act. So, the way in which we enter in is to um, is to really commit ourselves completely to what we're doing, what we're studying. <clears throat> so it says, in other words, even though a person has many layers through which he interfaces with the world and and, and um, copes with day-to-day life, it is possible for him to peel away these layers and to forge a direct soul connection with what he is doing. So it says, if he succeeds in doing so, then he and the activity will become one angu- indistinguishable entity. So when we focus on our Torah observance, and we do, uh, we study Torah, and we live Torah with proper intention, with proper motive, with um, with the right uh, attitude, with the right concentration, then we are said to have fully entered the mitzvah. So it says, by way of illustration, when the soul enters the body to bring it to life, there is a total entering of the soul into the body, such that it, it says here that the soul and body become one. This is what they're continuing the thought from the the uh, Gudnikumash. So it says, now the body is alive too. It's not merely enlivened by the soul. It has actually become alive itself because the soul has entered the body totally such that the soul and body are truly one. So it says, and that is the lesson from Parashat Kitabu. We should, it says here, enter into every mitzvah that we perform. That is to say that we should serve God with uh, our eyes wide open, as it were, And the observance of our Judaism will then become fully alive. So we talk about um, Mashiach saying that we can and should abide in him. How do we do that fully? And that is by doing so with full concentration, with full intention, etc. Now there's another insight here. There's another insight here to the Kumash, Talking about the first fruits of the basket. Why do we have to bring... Our first fruits in a, in a basket, specifically. So it says here the first fruit represent the Jewish soul, as the Midrash teaches that the divine thoughts to create Jewish souls preceded everything. That is Breshit Rabbah 1:4. Says in this respect, Jewish souls are first and cherished in a way similar to first fruits. So the first fruits represent the Jewish soul. So it says, when the soul is in heaven, before it enters the body, it enjoys an intense, ecstatic relationship with God. Nevertheless, the soul is sent down to earth in a body which conceals its relationship with God. This is not without profit since this descent, they say. The soul is able to carry out its mission. As we said many times, I've talked about this many times, that you and I were sent to earth uh, for a specific mission. And it says, as a result of being able to or being sent rather down to earth and to fulfill this mission throughout all the hardship and all the trial and all the tribulation, as a result of that, we are able to build a more intense, uh, a more intense relationship with God as a result of our trials and tribulations. Okay. So it says, it's His mitzvah. Because because rather his mythful can only be carried out in the physical world. So it says this is the lesson from the requirement that first fruits being placed in a basket. Although the fruits, it says, are the finest and first of the crop, they cannot achieve perfection without a basket. So the basket refers to the body, and the first fruit refer to the soul. So it says, likewise, the Jewish soul, which is God's highest priority cannot achieve perfection without coming down into a physical body and a world of concealment or temptation because it is precisely through that descent that an even greater ascent is achieved. So just like the Messiah was teaching, he said that unless a grain of wheat fall to the earth and die, it cannot come forth and, and produce more fruit. Okay, so the question becomes what is the purpose of life? We've been talking about uh and on Shabbat in the uh in the drash, we've been talking about the part, the Kochelet, the Ecclesiastes, and it seems kind of mm-hmm. dim. We have the the King Solomon, the the wisest man who's ever lived, saying, you know, life is futile. What's the purpose of life? You you come to live in a body, you're born but the moment the baby is born, it's on its way to death. It's kind of a morbid way of looking at it, but unfortunately, that's, that's the reality. So what becomes the purpose? Well, if we just look at what we just read with the, the basket and the first fruit analogy, then in, the first fruit is a pure soul. We're, in Shemayim, we're pure, but we, we need to be tested, and we need to be able to develop an even more intense relationship with the Shem. And Hashem, in His infinite wisdom, understands that the only way that we can do that is to be put in a basket. So we come down to earth, we put in a basket to be taken back up to the Kohen, who represents God, to Yerushalayim, which represents the seventh heaven. And so we come down to be taken up. Why? Because he wants us to produce more fruit. So by us coming to uh, the earth, we are like, in a way, we are like that grain, that seed, right, that has to fall to the earth and be buried, as it were, in order to sprout forth. Much fruit. If we're the soul, we're simply the first fruit left in Shemayim without the basket, then we are going to be a perfect little fruit, but we're not going to bear more fruit. That's the whole idea. So we talk about first fruits, and some people look at first fruits only as a means by which to give to God and therefore be blessed by God, but it's so much more deeper than that. It's so much deeper than that. So this is why we talk about tithing. We talk about giving our first fruits and tithing. We a lot of people get focused on the money aspect of it, right? And so there's there's many more layers to that. There's when we give of our tithe, when we give of our first fruits, we're actually doing something fixed physical that testifies to what we're doing spiritual. That's the whole point of of uh, these exercises. So it says, and uh, the. Uh, Rabbi Monk's commentary, another reason to tithe. It says that you shall take the first of every fruit of the ground. So Rambam states that the motivation underlying the mitzvah of bringing the first fruit to the Kohen is that in observance of this mitzvah, man becomes accustomed to acting generously and learns to limit his desire for property. He writes this in the Guide to the Perplexed, apparently in chapter 39. So again, we're talking about giving first fruits, bringing our our proper tithe to Hashem. What's the reason we do this? Is so that we can engender in ourselves a generous spirit, and we can avoid what Mashiach talked about being the evil eye. The evil eye was a euphemism, talking about somebody who is stingy. And so, if somebody who is very stingy, their eye is 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 evil. If their eye is evil, then their whole body is dark. And so, if someone is is they can say, well, I, I really love God and I love people and I'm really observant and I'm particularly stringent even maybe about my observance. And I'm, I really, I dobbin three times a day, I never miss, all those kinds of things. But you ask them, well, okay, do you tithe? They say, no, I don't believe in it. Then they, yeah. nothing else matters. Because Mashiach taught if your eye is dark, your whole body is dark. It's very important. Because if you're not generous then you're not living a godly life. It's just that simple, and so therefore, when we give of our tithe, we're actually we're we're training ourselves to give. You know, they talk about training uh, in martial arts, or people train how to use a firearm, or or they train how to uh, uh, I don't know, play football or soccer or whatever. And the the, the experts uh, say that in a time of crisis, let's say that you are uh, you're walking down the street, minding your own business, and somebody attacks you, now you have to defend yourself, that you don't have time to think about, mm-hmm. all right, so if he throws up his left hand, I'm going to block with you know, my right hand, and then I'm going to swing around and do a roundhouse kick to his face, and you don't have time for all that, your body and your mind respond, but they can only respond in the way in which they've been trained. So that's why it's so important to train, because when you're in those environments, and I've been in in some of those, I've had that happen to me in in my life. And so I can testify that when that has happened, I just acted. And it wasn't until everything was over that I really had to go back and think about what happened, because I just reacted to the situation based on training. So this is why it's so important to tithe. Because you think, oh, well, when the time comes to be generous, I'll be generous. No, you won't, not unless you've been training to be generous, you see. That's why it's so important. So remember the times of trouble. This is another part of this experience. It says that we come to Hashem and we say, I remember when I was a slave in Egypt. So it says the reason that tragic events are to be remembered is to help us avoid the dangers of pride that often occur in good times. So isn't it interesting that we're bringing Hashem our first fruit offering. This is what he's blessed us with. We're coming to him and saying, look look what what you've done, this big pile of wonderful fruit or harvest or whatever it must be. Mm -hmm. And in the midst of that wonderful celebration of bringing Hashem our first fruit offering, we say, I remember when I was a slave in Egypt. It seems, to the carnal mind, counterintuitive. We shouldn't try to remember bad times. We should be focusing on the good times. But in reality, this teaches us that a very, very valuable lesson, as it says here, it is only when the, the dangers of self-reliance uh, became especially significant. When This is when one says he brought us to a place and gave us the land flowing with milk and honey and again the first fruits of the ground that you have given me he unmistakably denies man's power and replaces it with the sole power of an as and this goes back uh, all the way of course to the beginning so the point being is that precisely at the point when the enemies have been vanquished and life is good and the the harvest is coming in and you know uh Everything is going well. This is precisely the time we need to remember that it wasn't us that did it. So this happens in our natural lives, obviously. It happens in everybody's life, generally. That we, When we're very young and we're working to make a living, times are tough, and it seems like every month the car is, uh, might be repossessed. You know, all those kinds of things because you're working so hard and you're doing other things. We were just having a conversation yesterday about all the things we've done to earn an extra buck in our young days. So it's easy that now when life is not quite so hard where, you know, you have, you you got a little bit older and you've become more successful. And so you don't have to pinch every single penny. And so it's easy to forget what God has done to bring you to this time. That's why when we bring our tithe, we say, Hashem, I remember when I was a slave. I remember when I didn't have anything, which prevents me and precludes me from thinking that what I have now is is. Because I did something. The fact that, you know, think about it. I'm bringing a first fruit to Hashem, but the only reason I'm able to bring a first fruit to Hashem is because He saved me from slavery. So which, which therefore makes any kind of concept that we have uh, earned anything or we've done it by our own hand ridiculous because if we were still, if it hadn't been for Hashem, we'd still be in Egypt. Which is another aspect of this whole encounter is that this connects everything to redemption to include what we do for a living. So even our daily work that we do to earn a living and therefore be able to bring Hashem our first fruit offering or tithes and so on, even that is connected to redemption. So to put it another way, for people that say, I don't want to tithe or I don't want to give or I don't want to give my first fruits, then in a w- when you don't do that, there is a very significant, that is a very significant way to deny the redemption. Because the reason we were set free, one of the reasons we were, is to is for the, the sake of being able to elevate the earth, to elevate creation, to bring creation into a, a holy state. Remember that God promises uh, you know, us his Torah, but he also promises his, his land. So when we say, I don't want to tithe, It's a way that we deny the redemption because what we're actually saying is actually Hashem, this is mine and I made it and it's all me and I don't really owe you anything. So therefore I'm not going to give it to you and I don't feel bad about it. But the Jewish person says actually everything I have isn't mine anyway because I was a slave and so therefore when I was set free I was given everything as a perfect gift. So another thought, another insight. So it says in Rabbi Mung's commentary, there's an interesting connection between the end of the previous chapter, which was dealing with Amalek, and the beginning of this chapter, which begins with first fruits. So Amalek, the gematria of Amalek, the name Amalek, is doubt. So I want you to keep that in mind. Whenever you think about Amalek, I want you to think about doubt, right? So it says, when Balaam prophesied, he referred to the Amalekites as Rashid Goyim, the first among nations says this title befits them as they were the first to attack the Jewish people. And they were also the first nation to be eliminated by the Jewish people when the conquest of the land began. So it says it is therefore appropriate that in order to balance the evil of Amalek, the first of the nations, Jews donate a first offering to God, the first fruit of our produce. Now, as I said, Amalek represents doubt (coughs) And so, I want to say that when you bring your tithe and your first fruit, that is one of the ways in which we can eliminate doubt from our life and establish amona. Let me explain an illustration of why that's the case. So, a long time ago—I say a long time ago—I don't know, a year or two ago—I was watching a a, a program, and it it had to do with people who are, who were hoarders, and there was a psychologist or psychiatrist, probably. On the program talking about hoarding and what's at the root of it and uh, the root of hoarding is fear of fear of lack people that hoard things are afraid that if they get rid of this thing that has really no value that that they won't it won't be replaced by something else so it's a fear of lack and that fear of lack goes back to a, a lack of amunah in Hashem. So in other words, God gave me this because he loves me. And he, made, he made provision for me. But I won't let it go because I'm not convinced that there will be manna in the morning. I'm not convinced that there is going to be, that there's going to be a provision made for me tomorrow. So I hold on tightly to what I have now. Um, thinking that I won't be able to have anything later, so that's really the root of hoarding. It's it's a fear. It's a lack of amunah. So when we give of our tithes and our first fruits, that is the the uh, most powerful way in which we can overcome the spirit of doubt in our life. Uh, that is to give to a because we believe that manna comes daily from, from God. That it doesn't come from our own effort alone. Not naturally, as I said before, we everything in balance. We do have to work. We do have to do things. We have to put forth an effort. But our effort is is not is not the source of what we have. The source of what we have comes from God. So when we give to Hashem, we're overcoming the spirit of doubt. We're actually crushing a melech underfoot and uh, believing and putting our faith specifically in Hashem. All right, a couple more insights, the, the time we have here. So it says, Thus the world has was made both for Torah, which is its spiritual and ethical constitution, and for Israel, the representative of the Torah. Now this goes back to an idea that the word uh, brachit in the beginning of the Torah has in it, of course, Rashit, the first, which is like the first, uh, the first fruit. So Rashi brings down that the world was created for the Torah and also uh, for Israel. The Torah, because it says in Proverbs eight twenty-two, the Torah is the first of his ways, and for Israel, who are called the first of his crop. So with that in mind, that comes from Jeremiah 2, 3, by the way. So with that in mind, it says, Thus the world was made both for the Torah, which is its spiritual and ethical constitution, and for Israel, the representation, the representative of the Torah. Now, the the reason I wanted to point this out, and I underline in this um, commentary, the word representative, because this presents a a, a type of um, precedent. So what we learn here is that the Torah is represented by Israel. In other words, Israel is a personification of the Torah. How? By keeping it. By keeping the Torah, we represent the Torah. We become a personification of the Torah, which teaches us what? Which teaches us that there is a precedent now for the Torah to be manifest in a human form. Because if we can keep the Torah and therefore represent the Torah, then the Torah can have a human representation, Mm -hmm. which is what we have through Messiah Yeshua. Mm -hmm. So, all right, one last thing and we'll conclude Mm -hmm. and uh, working through all of our internet connections issues. So prayerfully, we're going to be okay with all that. So it says here, I have not eaten in my intense mourning. So it says the primary emphasis of Judaism is upon life, that it's to be positive and productive. This goes back to an idea that we are supposed to avoid acting like pagans in all of our morning rituals, and this included tithing. Uh, Rabbi Monk brings out a really uh, kind of a long insight into tithing. Uh, being something that was understood as important by all nations, which means that tithing is universal, which means that tithing is very is, is very primordial. It's, it's very important. I always take notice of, of what people resist most in Torah. So if, if, if there's a lot of resistance to a particular mitzvah, to me that means it has very, very, very deep spiritual impact. So people really hate, a lot of people really hate the idea of tithing. Boom, check that box. That must be something that we really need to focus on. People really, really dislike keeping the Sabbath. Boom, we need to make sure we keep the Shabbat because that indicates that the, the soul of the enemy hates it. People are against circumcision. Boom. People are against separation of meat and milk, right? Boom, that must mean there's something primordial about that too. So wherever you see there's a hot button issue, if you go in the calendar, People will fight against the calendar, right? You have the Hebrew roots and messianics, and they've got all kind of made-up f- fake and phony, you know, plastic banana, good time rock and roll calendars out there. They've all made up by themselves. Why is that such a fast, why is that such a hot-button issue? There must be something incredibly important about the right Moedim, right? So anytime you have a hot-button issue out there, You can pretty much guarantee that it is a primordial issue, and Hashem wants us to focus on that, and tithing is one of those issues. But we're to do so by God's ways and not by the ways of the pagan nations. End of our Aliyah today. Thank you for joining me. Uh, With God's help, we'll be back tomorrow, maybe. We'll see how things work out. Uh, as this has uh, concluded. So if you are still with me, please subscribe to our channel. Please like this video. Please share it with your friends. And uh, please have a wonderful and good day. And we will see everybody, Bez tomorrow.